And I don't know about you, but that song gets to me every time I sing it. You are the Lord, let the nation sing you are the Lord. Now there's coming a day, one day, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's coming at the end. It's going to take place during the millennial reign. We know that, but our desire as followers of Jesus is that the nations will proclaim that he is Lord today. We need to do everything we can to let the nations know that our Lord is Lord. And he's sovereign over all the world. Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to hold it up right now and repeat our affirmation with me. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author. Salvation for its end. And truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, there have been a lot of movies made about the end of times. And I've watched a lot of them. Armageddon, Deep Impact, 2012, Greenland. Or just a few of the, the movies that I've watched about the end of the world. And every one of these movies have the same plot. Something's coming that's going to bring the end of the world. And so humanity, mankind, does everything it can to work together to stop the end from coming. But there's a problem with that. We can't stop the end from coming. It's inevitable. No matter what you do, no matter what we do, no matter what we do to support climate change or whatever else, we are not going to stop the end from coming. It's inevitable. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1 this morning. We're going to start a several-month walk through the last book of the Bible. Revelation is a book that has both confused and frustrated those who, who diligently study it and those who casually read it. And I mean, it, it frustrates us for good reason. It speaks of horsemen and plagues. It speaks of trumpets and locusts, beasts with seven heads and ten horns. It talks about dragons. It tells us about the complete destruction of the earth as we know it and a new heaven and a new earth. This book is, is written in picturesque language that causes our imaginations to run wild. And, and yet it's a book that we desperately need to read. Because this book reveals our future. This book reveals our destiny. This book reveals where we're headed. You see in the book of Genesis we... we find the beginning of everything. In the book of Revelation, we discover the climax of everything. In Genesis, we're told how the world begins. In Revelation, we're told how the world ends. In Genesis, we're told about the entrance of sin. In Revelation, we're told about the end of sin once and for all. In Genesis, we meet Satan for the very first time as that serpent in the garden. But in Revelation, we see him for the very last time. Genesis shows us man's beginning in this beautiful garden paradise. But in Revelation, we're shown this other wonderful paradise that is yet to come. In Genesis, 
we see that sorrow begins. In Revelation, we see that sorrow is removed. In Genesis, death enters the human race. In Revelation, death exits the human race, never to enter it again. What God starts in Genesis, God completes in Revelation. The book of Revelation shows us that God has a plan and no power on earth or in hell can frustrate or stop God's plan. Now this morning as we start our study, we're going to focus on the first eight verses in this book. The entire first chapter is an introduction to the book and the reality is the first chapter speaks to us all about Jesus. It lets us know that that Revelation is all about Jesus, but it does more than that. The first chapter really gives us the tools that we need to better understand this book. So this morning, what I want to do is share with you four truths that we discover in these eight verses that I believe will help us better understand this book. Now here's truth number one, the purpose of Revelation. And the purpose of Revelation is to reveal. That's why the book was written. Listen to what it says in the first two verses. It says, this is a revelation from, and that word from in the Greek can be translated of. So this is a revelation from or of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sends an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This first verse gives us not only the title of the book, Revelation, it gives us the purpose of the book. Now the Greek word revelation, apocalypsis, the word that we get our word apocalypse from, it causes us to have all kinds of thoughts. When, when we hear the word apocalypse, we think about chaos and we think about catastrophe. We think about disaster and destruction. But the word apocalypsis, apocalypse, literally means unveiling. It means to reveal. It means to uncover or expose. You see, the book of Revelation takes the covers off and lets us see the complete picture. When, when God gave Daniel the prophecy in the book of Daniel, God was t- called Daniel to seal up the book and keep it a secret. And that's what he said in Daniel chapter 12 verse 4, seal up the book, keep it a secret to the end of time. But when God gave the prophecy and revelation to John, he said, do not seal up the prophetic words of this book because the time is near. He said that in Revelation 22, verse 10. And so Daniel was told to seal up the book until the end is near. John was told to let the book be read because the end is soon to come. Then I want you to notice what is revealed, or rather who is revealed in this book, because the purpose is to reveal. And there are two things that are revealed. First of all, Jesus is revealed. The book of Revelation is all about Jesus. On virtually every page, it's as if the Holy Spirit pulls back the veil and gives us a picture of Jesus. We see him as the soon coming king, the exalted Lord, the the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the conquering king. If you understand 
that the book of Revelation is primarily about Jesus, you will better understand the purpose of this book. Revelation allows us to see Jesus in all of his glory. We see his final victory over Satan, over sin, and over this wicked world. It's as if God pulls back the curtain and gives us a glimpse of Jesus. He says, look at my son, the soon coming king. You see, in the Old Testament, Jesus is revealed as a Messiah who is yet to come. In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed as a son of God who died for our sins. In the epistles, he's revealed as the risen Lord. But in the book of Revelation, Jesus is revealed as the glorified Christ who will rule and reign forever. Jesus is not only the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. He is the King of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now God gave this message to John when he was on the island of Patmos, a a slave island. It was around AD 95. Domitian was the emperor of, of Rome, and he was one of the cruelest emperors that Rome ever had. He demanded public worship. He declared himself to be God, but the Christians refused to worship him. They worshiped only Jesus. And because of this, the Christians in John's day were subjected to public ridicule, to economic hardship, to imprisonment, and even death. And this takes us to the second truth that is revealed in Revelation. You see, Revelation not only reveals to us Jesus as the coming king, Revelation reveals to us what must soon take place, the future events of our world. It's as if God gives John a glimpse of the future events, the things that will one day take place. You see, God has a plan for earth, and God has a plan for you. In the Gospels, we are told to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who can take away our sins. In the epistles that John wrote, he tells us to be sure that our sins have been forgiven. But in Revelation, he tells us to be ready because Jesus is coming soon. Now, many people get caught up with that word soon. They say it's been almost 2,000 years since this book was written, and Jesus still hasn't returned yet. Is he really going to come again? But you need to remember what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It says, a day is like a 1,000 years to the Lord, and a 1,000 years is like a day. You see, time is meaningless to God. Time is something that was invented for your benefit and for my benefit. And we need to understand with an eternal God who has always been and always will be soon as soon. Here's what I know. The second coming of Jesus is sooner than it has ever been before. John Phillips, who is a noted Bible teacher, said this. He said, thoughtful people are insisting If we're not living in the age of the apocalypse, we must at least be living on the threshold of that age. If we're not living in the day of revelation, we've got to be living on the day of the threshold of the revelation. I mean, look at the signs all around us in our world today that show us that Jesus is coming soon. The return of Israel as a sovereign nation. 
the sudden wealth, importance, and influence of the Arab and the Muslim world, the resurgence of militant Islam, the materialism and immorality that is defining our culture today, the apostasy of the, pro, uh, the professing church, the rise of the nations of Europe in a collective union. All of these things tell us that Jesus is coming soon. You need to understand that what we are going to study in the book of Revelation will be happening soon. Understand, the Bible never tells us that Jesus' coming is immediate. The Bible tells us that it is imminent. That means that Jesus' coming can happen at any day. At any moment, Jesus can be standing at the door knocking, saying, Get ready, because I am coming back. At any moment in history, Jesus can orchestrate the events of time to precipitate his return. But that word soon, it also carries with it the idea of certainty. You see, the book of Revelation isn't a fairy tale. It's not folklore. It's not, it's not philosophical thought. It is written as fact. God tells us that the events that we read about in the book of Revelation will happen just as he says. But I want you to notice something else here. We are told that the book of Revelation is given to his servants to believers, to those who follow Jesus. What's amazing is the world, the lost world, has this affection with the book of Revelation. The lost world likes to know about the book of Revelation, but the book of Revelation wasn't written for the lost world. The book of Revelation was written for those of us who were servants, slaves of Jesus Christ, those of us who love him and have given our lives for him. So the book of Revelation reveals, it reveals Jesus in all of his glory. And as we read it, it's going to reveal the future events that will soon take place. The second thing that we see that, help us, that will help us better understand Revelation is the promise. And the promise of Revelation is joy. Listen to what it says in verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to his message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Now, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. All Scripture comes from the very mouth, the very breath of God. All Scripture is God's Word. But the book of Revelation is a special book. It's the only book in the Bible that specifically promises a blessing. We are promised a blessing if we read, hear, and obey what we learn in this book. Now the word blessed or blessing is the Greek word makarios. It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 5 when he gave us the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who Mourn, blessed are those who are righteous. The B attitudes, it's a word that literally means a joy that comes from inside. You see, happiness comes from what happens to us. But joy is an eternal thing. 
And the Bible tells us that we can have joy in the midst of the circumstances that we face in life. Regardless of what our situation may be, we can have joy. Now remember, John is writing this to believers who are being persecuted. And he tells them, in the midst of your persecution, you can have joy. If you read this book, hear it, and obey it. Now, there are three things that we have to do to find joy in Revelation. First of all, we have to read it. Now, the problem with that is most Christians today don't read the Bible. We have Bibles. I mean, goodness gracious, you you have them on your phone now, don't you? With the Bible app. But most Christians don't read their Bible. Now, I'm here to tell you that if you're not reading your Bible, you're not growing as a Christian. It doesn't matter what podcast you listen to, what other books you read, what sermons you listen to. You need to read the Word of God systematically, regularly, if you're going to grow. Now, the word read here that God gives us is the Greek word anakonosko. It's a compound word. The word ana is a word which means up. But when it's used in a compound word, it means repetition or intensity. Gnosko is a word which means to know or perceive. When you put those two words together, it means to read with intensity over and over until you understand. You see, you're never going to understand the book of Revelation reading it through once. If you read it through once, you're going to get confused, you're going to get frustrated, and you're going to put down this book never to read it again. You have to read it over and over and over. And you have to read this book in the context of the entire Word of God. You have to read this book in the context of prophetic words in the New Testament. You have to read this book in the context of prophetic words in the Old Testament. If you're not reading this book in the context of the entire revelation of God's Word, the Bible, you're never going to understand it. So you have to read it. And then the Bible says you have to hear it. But this just isn't talking about hearing it with your ears. It's talking about hearing it with your mind and understanding. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been reading your Bible and you get through reading your Bible and all of a sudden it dawns on you, you have no clue what you just read? That ever happened to you? It's happened to me. I mean, you're reading and you're, you're really reading, but you get through and you realize that you were dreaming about the Bahamas while you were reading, or something else, and you don't have a clue. Or or what about this? You come to church, you're making eye contact with me. I mean, I see you looking at me. You're not asleep, but you walk out the door, and you go, what did he say? What did he preach on? I don't have a clue. I mean, my wife's done that before. She won't admit it. I mean, we'll get in our car on the way home, and Now I'm driving in one car, she's driving in the other car. I call her and she answers. I say, hey, how'd you like the sermon? Man, it was great. It was wonderful. I say, good. What spoke to you? I said, are you still there? Did I I lose you? No, I'm here. I'm thinking. (laughs) I'm thinking, if you're thinking that long, I don't know if anything spoke to you. I I mean, oftentimes we, we hear something, but we don't hear it. We don't understand. The Bible says we got to read it to perceive it. 
We've got to understand it, not just hear it with our ears, but understand it with our mind and, and let it hear our heart, hit our hearts. And then we've got to take it to heart and obey it. That word obey means to guard, to hold fast, to keep, to keep. And we've got to make sure we do what the Word of God says. You, you see, the Bible says that, that we will receive joy, internal joy, if we read this book, we understand what it says, and we'll begin to put into practice the truths that we're to apply because of what it says. And that's a great promise. Because God is telling these believers who are going through immense persecution, in the midst of your persecution, you can have joy. You don't have to have sorrow. You don't have to be anxious. You can have joy. Now here's the third truth we can learn that will help us better understand the book of Revelation. The peace that Revelation gives flows out of a relationship with Jesus. Now some of you are going, peace? The book of Revelation gives us peace? And I would say to you, without a doubt, the book of Revelation can give us peace if we understand where the peace comes from. Listen to what what it says in verses 4 through 6. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to those things, the first to rise from the dead, the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Now as we read that as a whole, John is talking and he's writing what he sees, but then all of a sudden he just breaks out in praise to Jesus. Now John is begins by telling us who he's writing this book to, and he's writing it to the seven churches that are in Asia, literally the seven churches that are in modern Turkey. And these churches, like I said, were going through immense persecution. But you need to understand something about that letter 7. The letter 7, every time we find it in the Bible, doesn't just mean the number 7. The, the number 7 represents completion. And so this, this letter to Revel, the churches in Revelation is not just to seven specific churches, though it was written to them. It's to all churches, all the completed churches through all the ages. And so this isn't just a letter to the churches in the first century. It's a letter to those of us who are in the 21st century. But, but then notice what he says. He says, grace and peace to you. Now understand, this was a, a common standard greeting in, in letters that were written in, in this day and age. When you would write a letter, oftentimes they would say grace and peace to you. Many of the letters that Paul wrote, you can see that phrase there. But in light of what the content of this book is all about, I believe that this phrase, grace and peace, means so much more to us. You see, even though the book of Revelation reveals a future that includes God's judgment, those of us who know Him, those of us who have experienced His grace, who have been recipients of His grace, can have peace in spite of the coming storm. You see, we don't need to worry 
about what's next. Why? Because we've experienced God's grace. And when we've experienced God's grace, we can live with peace. Now listen to me. I'm not here to to pick at a scab. But I want you to listen. If there's been one thing that the last two years has shown, it has shown that many of us who claim to have experienced the grace of God don't have the peace of God. We're living in fear because of a virus. Don't get me wrong. The virus is real. It's killed a lot of people. A lot of people are still real sick. But I want you to listen to me. The coronavirus is nothing like the coming persecution. And if you can't have peace in the midst of a virus, you'll never have peace when the going really gets tough. And I'm here to tell you that when you've experienced the grace of God, it doesn't matter what you go through in life, you know that the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind because you are in Christ Jesus. Can I get a witness? Amen. We don't have to live in fear. We need to break the shackles that bind us and live with the peace that passes all understanding. My mom, my mom, she's got all the shots. She didn't get COVID for a year. She got COVID over Christmas. Man, she's been sick. She's still sick. I hope she's pulling through. I don't know. If she doesn't, I'm going to see her. I'm going to see her with my dad. I'm going to see her with Jesus on the other side. And I'm here to tell you, if she doesn't pull through, she could be better off than I am. We let things fill us with fear and rob us of peace that we don't need to. God's on his throne. He hasn't relinquished control. And if God is on his throne when the Christians were being persecuted and put to death, then God is certainly on his throne when a virus overtakes the world. And God will be on his throne when the Antichrist comes and seeks to rule and reign on planet earth. He's on his throne. And nothing can stop that. He gives us peace. Now, notice who the author of the book is. And you say, well, the author is John. But John says, no, the author is the triune God. God uses messengers to give us his word, but his word is always his word. The Bible says that it is God-breathed. It's theonumatos. It's the very breath. It comes from the very mouth of God. John didn't give us this book. God gave us this book. And then John describes God. He says that he is the Father, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is, is to come, the eternal God, the God who always has been, the God who will always will be. 
Then he tells us that he is the perfect spirit of God. Not the seven spirits, but the sevenfold spirit. This represents the completeness of the spirit of God. Most likely a reference to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. And notice where the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is before the throne of God, executing God's purposes. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one who spoke to the people who gave us the Bible, God's Word. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin and, and of our need for righteousness and the judgment that is to come. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us with gifts. The Holy Spirit is the one who fills us with His fruit. He is the one who accomplishes the purposes of God. And then John begins to describe Jesus, the Son, and he says Jesus is the faithful witness. He can be trusted. Whatever Jesus says is true. He says Jesus is the first to rise from the dead. Jesus is alive. He is the first to die, to be resurrected, to never die again. But this not only speaks of that, this speaks of Jesus' greatness. It means that he is the first in power and authority. And then John says he's the ruler of all kings. Domitian was, was seated on the throne, but, but Jesus was the one on the throne. And it doesn't matter, listen, it doesn't matter who is in power at the White House. It doesn't matter who is in power at the Kremlin. It doesn't matter who is in power in North Korea or in China or wherever else in the world. God is in power. Jesus is on the throne. And we need to understand that. But then as, as John is focusing on Jesus, he can't contain himself. And he just breaks out and prays and he dedicates this book to Jesus. Notice what he says. He says, to him who loves us. And that word is in the continuous present tense. It means Jesus loved us in the past. He loves us in the present. And he will love us until the end of time. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loved you when you were caught up in your sin. He loved you when you were at the foot of the cross asking for his forgiveness. He loves you when you fall from him and you're prone to wander and prone to leave the God you love. He loves you until the end. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And then he says that Jesus freed us. What did he free us from? Some say he freed us from hell, but he didn't free us from hell. Hell's a byproduct. He freed us from sin. And the word implies that, that he freed us in the past. When Jesus Christ finished his work on the cross and we received Jesus, we are given the power to live a life free from sin. We no longer have to live in the bondage of sin anymore. And listen, though we are prone to wander, the Holy Spirit who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And we don't have to give in to the power of sin. And it is a cop-out. It is an excuse to just simply say, well, we're sinners and we just sin. We don't have to. You see, Jesus frees us from the power of sin. I love Charles Wesley's old song. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. 
His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And his blood availed for you. Amen? His blood was shed to set you free from the power of sin. And then notice what he sets you free to do. He sets you free to become a kingdom of priests who serve him forever. Listen, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He set you free. And he empowers you to serve him forever. Do you know him? Do you love him? Are you serving him as his servant, as his slave? But, but that's not the end. There, there's one other truth we need to see here in these first eight verses. And that is the preparation of Revelation. You see, the book of Revelation causes us to prepare ourselves and the preparation of Revelation is because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. L listen to what it says. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, the one who always was and who is still to come, the Almighty God. Jesus is coming back. Notice what it says. It says, everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and the nations of the world will mourn for him. You know what that's telling us? The nations of the world will mourn. You know why? Because when Jesus comes a second time, he's not coming as a crucified Savior. When Jesus comes again, he's coming as a conquering king to judge the world. And if you're not ready, you will be the recipient of God's judgment. Now I want you to understand something. And we're going to be getting into this in the, the weeks ahead. But there's a difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus comes at the end before he sets up an earthly kingdom to judge the world. Not the great white throne judgment, to set, but to set up an earthly kingdom. That's his second coming. The rapture comes before all of this takes place. And the rapture comes, I believe, with all my heart. To rescue believers from the wrath that is coming. There's a wrath coming. The rapture could come today. And it could begin the events that we read about in Revelation. It could come tomorrow. And it would begin the events we read in Revelation. It could be a year, it could be... 10 years to be honest with you I don't think it will be I really do believe the Lord's coming soon I'm not a prophet I'm not the son of a prophet and I'm not making a prediction but it wouldn't surprise me if he came back this year all the events are in line for Jesus to come and take his church are you ready Someone once asked Billy Graham whether he was a pessimist or an optimist about the world's situation. And he replied, I'm an optimist. The person asked, how can you be an optimist when you, when you look at the world, all the suffering, all the pain, all the hunger, all the wars? And he said, well, I'm an optimist because I've read 
the end of the book. And I know how it will end. Dear brothers and sisters, I've read the end of the book. And I know how it's going to end. There are some of you, you're not sure that you've ever given your life to Jesus. You can't testify that you're different today because Christ lives in you. And if that's you, then I will plead with you this morning to get your heart right today. Because the end is coming. And I believe that if you're left when Jesus comes to take his church, chances of you having a second chance are slim. You say, well, I'll accept Jesus during the tribulation time. Well, maybe, but, but I doubt it. I mean, if you're not willing to give your heart and life to Jesus today when it's so easy, do you really anticipate you giving your life to Jesus when it's going to cost you everything? What more than likely is going to happen is this. You're going to be one of those that we read about at the end of the book. When the judgments are coming and the people realize that the judgments they are facing at that point are coming straight from the hand of God. And the Bible says instead of repenting, they curse God. See, that's what happens. See, you don't give your heart and life to Jesus now while you have a chance. What's going to most likely happen is the rapture comes and you're left behind and all of this pain and suffering begins to come. You're going to be just like everybody else in the world. If there was a God, he wouldn't have let this happen. If he was a good God, why does he allow these things to happen? You're going to do just like everybody else. You're going to curse God. That's why it's so important. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus to do it, I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. And if you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus, then I want to encourage you right now to surrender your life to Him solely and completely. If you're here and you say, Rocky, I don't know if I really have, then chances are you haven't. And I would encourage you today to write it in stone and surrender your life to Him completely. If that's what you want to do, then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to Him. Dear God, I humbly come to you today admitting that I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed you. I've lived life my way. I've acted as if I were God doing what I wanted to do. Forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave to defeat sin and death on my behalf. And today I'm turning from sin. I'm trusting you to save me. And I'm surrendering my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. Take control of my life. 
make me brand new, I pray in Jesus' name.